By the way, for those of you who've read this passage, in case you didn't notice, I mean, to me, this is like grinding gears, going from Isaiah to Paul. All right? I mean, it's just... The most amazing thing about Paul, and, and I always forget this if I've been away from him for a while and suddenly I start reading his stuff, the man is incredibly, and I mean this in the positive way, dense. Okay? When, when I say that, there is so much that is packed into every phrase that he has here. You can see how his mind works as he's putting this together. Just absolutely amazing to me. Um, okay. Um, let's back up for just a second. Let's talk about Soma for just a minute. Why does Soma exist? What is Soma trying to do? Of course, the top level is to give glory to God for what he has done for us. The Father's great plan of salvation, the Son's sacrifice for us to present us as a gift to the Father as the children of God and the Holy Spirit who is the guiding influence on all of us to fulfill the will of the Father. Yes, it's all of that, but there's an additional piece that Soma is an attempt to be a model of the ancient church as established by the Apostles. That's the Apostles with a capital A. There are some people running around who claim to be apostles that are pastors. Um, you know, we kind of look down on that kind of thing because apostle is someone who was sent by Jesus, chosen by Jesus. So, yes, you could say that, that Bill and I have both been chosen by Jesus, but not in the sense of Jesus present saying, you're going to go the way he did with Matthew, Mark, John, Peter. Okay. We want to be the modern model of the ancient church as it was established by those who actually saw, heard, and followed Jesus during his earthly mission. It's why we call ourselves Soma, the Greek word for body. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Okay, so we finally got done with Isaiah, and Isaiah's an old friend of ours now, right? We, 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 we will never be able to read Isaiah again and not remember these past two years that we've gone through this. And uh, it, to me, that is amazing. It's sort of like when Simon had finished the Gospel of Mark, right? You tackle that great big chunk of the Bible. And I, and I got to think back on this. Who, who are the heroes of the Bible? Who are the major figures? Who delivered the major messages in the Bible? And my short list, all right, I came up with six names. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Luke, Paul, and John. That would be my short list. If, if you only read those guys, you would get... I'm going to say 90% of the message that is in the Bible, if you really thought about it. Of course, the overarching story here is about Jesus. And my list would simply engender an argument about who should be on the list or not on the list. And I would love to have that discussion with people just to 
to see what other people thought because I might change my list based on what other people thought about it. So we're moving from Isaiah to Paul, and the differences will be very, very clear right away. Paul makes a superior discourse in rhetoric. Paul is heavy. His words are weighty. There's a depth to the discussion that Paul brings to us. This isn't to say that Isaiah is not weighty. The depth is different. Again, you'll hear the differences right away. But in a similar way, Paul is critical of the leadership of the church for not listening to the instructions of God. And this entire book that we're going to go through, Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, is a, a discourse by Paul against something that they were doing wrong, that they had set themselves up to follow the Christian faith in a wrong manner. We have a question. That's correct, yeah. Galatians is a single letter that Paul wrote. And if you stop and think of it, they didn't have a post office then. What would happen is you would actually, Paul did this, and, and all the apostles did this. They would write the letter out. And it, it might be done on a piece of leather or, or papyrus or... And it would be rolled up and given to a messenger that was headed in that direction. And they would carry it a certain distance, and then they'd find somebody who was headed in the same general direction as the, the place that it's addressed to. And eventually, the letter, perhaps six months later, maybe a year later, maybe two years later, it would finally arrive at the person that it was addressed to. And this is the way letters were done. Because you entrusted them to the people who were going in that general, travelers that were going in that general direction. There was no such thing as a post office. Rome did not have that, that concept did not exist at that time. This was one of those letters. The other thing about Galatians that, that you need to know, it's possible that Galatians was the first document that was written down in the New Testament, probably around 60 AD. So Jesus had been gone for about 25 years at this point, 25, maybe 30 years at this point. And so all these first generation followers of Jesus recall that when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm coming back soon. So they expected to see Jesus, you know, next week. And that's not what happened. Here it is, it's 30 years later. And it occurs to them that as they're spreading the word of the gospel across the known world, that people are getting different ideas about who Jesus was. Because most of these people that they're sending the message to have never met Jesus. They don't know, personally know, the person Jesus the way that the apostles did. Paul is being critical of the leadership of the church for not listening to the instructions of God. Isaiah did the same, and neither of them, Paul and Isaiah, were willing to compromise the message from God that they were carrying. Okay. 
This letter is to the Galatians. Where is Galatia? So it turns out Galatia today is a part of modern Turkey. It's in central Turkey, and for the most part, it's in the north towards the Black Sea. Galatia extends south from there and reaches almost to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's possible that Paul's letter to the church in Galatia is closer to the southern end of the country that was Galatia. Paul's letter to the Galatians is, in effect, a letter to recovering Pharisees. So stop and think about the spread of Judaism across the ancient world. And when the Romans come in, they actually create an even bigger problem for the Jews that are in Judea. And it's easier for them to get away from these problems and move to other parts of the Roman world. And so they end up moving to places like Alexandria or modern Libya, or they might go to Spain. And so there were these pockets of Jews that were in all these places because it was difficult for them to stay in Judea because of the, the disruption to society there. Um, and this would eventually result in uh, an open civil war between the Jews and the Romans. And the Jews would lose badly in this particular battle in about 10 years after this letter was written. Okay. Um, this particular letter is an appeal to these recovering Pharisees about the love and the redemption of God and that it is the love of God that causes everything in the Bible to exist. The entire Old Testament exists to show us that no one can satisfy the commands of God. Not one of us can fulfill the demands that God makes on us. I can remember as a very young Christian thinking that it was unfair that God set it up that way. But in fact, that is exactly God's point that you cannot follow the rules. It's not possible to do that. We all fail at that. And we all, fa the, the very first commandment, it, none of us gets through the first commandment. You, you don't even have to look at the other nine. Just the very first one, boom. All of us are failures at the very first commandment. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they believed they could curry the favor of God if they were good people, all right? So stop and think about this. By being good people, they could please God and so, follow this, earn their right to ascend to heaven. They read the scriptures, prayed, tithed, kept the Sabbath religiously. Everything you would expect of a godly people, right? wrong. The part they didn't get was that God's salvation only comes freely because of the death of Christ. God is the one that pays the price. Isaiah 
I'm quoting Isaiah right here. Isaiah 55.1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And it is free because the price of salvation is so high. We cannot pay that price, which is why it's necessary for Jesus to come and pay it for us. There are those who try and paint, the Jude, paint Judaism as a religion of faith and hope and love. But over and over in the New Testament tells us that Judaism was an attempt to buy salvation from God the way it was being interpreted by the Jews. And to this day, that is the way Judaism is practiced. It is, they, they believe that by following these rules, they can receive favor from God. The New Testament tells us Judaism was an attempt to buy salvation from God, as though that were even possible. And watch for this as we proceed through Galatians. So let's go ahead and start. Verses 1 and the first half of 2. Verse 1 through the first half of 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. So right off the bat, this is an incredibly dramatic claim that Paul is making. None of Paul's other letters start this way, by the way. Paul is doing something very unusual here, and I think it's actually... a a change in style with Paul. But right off the bat, Paul is starting off with this dramatic claim. And all the other letters, by the way, begin with some form of encouraging greeting. And this is the custom in ancient Greek letters. The author says who they are, both in name and title. And here he says, I am Paul, and then he makes the extraordinary claim. Paul says, I am an apostle. Okay. Paul reinforces that by proclaiming the highest authority as his justification, not from any man, but through God himself, as the Father raised Jesus and with all the other apostles. No friendly greeting, no salutation, no chit-chat. Boom. Paul is hitting them right square between the eyes that there's a problem. It appears that we're critics who discounted Paul and his message because he wasn't one of the original 12 who were called by Jesus. Paul was a second-rate apostle, and so his message was a second-rate message as well. It was simply what Paul was saying, Paul talking. These people were making two errors. One is a simple lie, and the other was an offense against God himself. The simple lie was that Paul could be ignored. And the other was to openly oppose God's will. And Paul proclaims that he stands with all the other apostles. And the second half of verse 2, he addresses who this letter's to, to the churches of Galatia. We discussed the where of Galatia, but just who were the Galatians? 
They were an Indo-European tribe that had settled in Turkey, notably descendants of Gaul and Celt origins. These people were spread over most of Europe, and the areas most identified with them today are in western France and the British Isles. Paul traveled through this particular part of Turkey. If we go back to Acts 16.6, Acts 16.6, and they went through the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It was because of this particular trip that Paul is writing this letter now. There's a scarcity of mention of these churches in the New Testament, and to have a major theological conflict of this sort is unusual. There were those who followed after Paul and tried to add their rules to the free salvation of Christ. And these people were called Judaizers and was often signified by a demand that it was necessary to first become a Jew before becoming a Christian. This was the gospel of Jesus plus the law of Moses. And you know that Jesus plus anything is a mistake. There's a recurring theme in all of Christianity that legalism creeps in. I'll give you an example, Acts 15.1. Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When this sort of thing happens, we have to stop it and work very hard to stop stop it, to keep legalism out of Christianity. We all know of those who would add to the message of the Bible. People that we know who are upright citizens, solid families, to be admired by every me measure of society. But we do not follow the customs of man. We belong to a kingdom, a different kingdom. We bow and worship to the Father and to Jesus the Christ and the Holy Spirit. There are always those who attempt to add to the gospel. Acts 15.5. Acts 15.5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Jesus was no ordinary man. He wasn't just a man who realized one day he could ascend to heaven. Jesus was uniquely, vastly, and infinitely extraordinary. Paul is making the point here that the calling of God and the calling of Jesus are one and the same. Note here also that Paul speaks of the resurrection. Paul doesn't speak of the crucifixion until later. In fact, the, this, the resurrection of Christ comes up multiple times in this opening, opening series of verses in Galatians. Why is it that way? We're going to talk later about this, but it's about how Paul became a Christian. 
Paul was not there at the cross. Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And this is Paul's testimony. And that's why Paul emphasizes the resurrection, because he saw the risen Jesus. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, we get the salutary greeting. Note here that Paul puts the Father and the Son together as though they are one. They are, in fact, one. And yet they are separate also. Paul understands this simple fundamental truth that God is one. And yet God is three also. Such is the mystery that is who God is. Verses 4 and 5, continuing on. Referring back to Jesus, who gave himself to, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here in verses 4 and 5, we are seeing the message that Paul always brings. Paul is telling them again his message, the good news. And here Paul mentions the crucifixion for the first time. Gave himself for our sins. Jesus puts our sins on his own shoulders and walks up that hill to his death. This was not some happenstance that just comes about. This was the plan from even before Abraham, even before Adam. But Abraham said the words. We go back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, 7 and 8. Genesis 22, 7 and 8. And Isaac says to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. <coughs> and he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? <coughs> and Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both of them went together. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And in this statement, <clears throat> Paul shows this as God's plan from the very beginning, according to the will of our God and Father. Paul changes the message to the Galatians at this point slightly, beginning with verse 6. So verses 6 in the first half of 7. Verse 6 and the first half of 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Paul would always deliver the gospel as being very simple. It really is a simple message. And if we think about it, the message makes perfect sense. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. I had Riley read this one this morning as our call. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
And remember that Jesus dies on the cross not to just save us individually, but to save us collectively as the new church. Verse 7. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The evil of those who add to the simplicity of God's message is here. They distort the will of God. And what they are saying is not the plan of the Lord. In verse 8, Paul continues on. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. The punishment for adding to the gospel message is heavy. That those who should be accursed by God. And you can imagine this from time immemorial, people adding to God's message. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Here in verse 9, this is a message from all the apostles that nothing can be added to the message from the Lord. That if some part was left out, or if some part was added, it is no longer God's message. But it is one that is created by man and is distorted. And verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul begins all of this with the wickedness of the Judaizers. This is a human condition. People want what they want. They follow after their own corrupt hearts. Legalism is corruption. It is what we do. It is who we are. We like to have rules. We want to know where the boundaries are because we want to go crashing off of the guardrails all the time. God doesn't want that. God wants us to stay in the middle of our lane. He wants to protect us, and it is the best thing for us if we follow God's rules. We all resist God's hand over ourselves. I'm one of those people God is yelling at. I want rules. And that is something that Jesus had to carry up the hill to Calvary. And I must bless the name and honor and glory of Jesus for all my days that he paid my penalty and paid my price of redemption. Jesus comes to deliver redemption, of course. And the church, glorious Zion, the collective people of God are saved. The church, Jesus and his church, we are that church. We are the cherished ones celebrated by the Lord. We are the new Jerusalem. Paul here is trying to protect the Galatians. He proclaims a new thing has come from the Lord. The Lord makes the paths of righteousness and justice, and God is bringing in all the church if we'll only just listen. 
recall that God is the one who is wholly just. God is the one who is wholly faithful. And God knows the only way that sin can be atoned for, for the redemption of God's people, for the salvation of God's people. This is the message God is yelling at the Galatians. And I, and all of us. And that's what the message is about. God knows the one who can pay for all sins, from eternity past through the present to eternity in the future. God knows who this person is. And God knows his only son is just and true and is the only one that can stand in the gap for all the sins of God's people. Someday we will all stand before the Lord. And when that day comes, Jesus is the one that covers us, that allows us to be there. Jesus is the one, the servant. He is the crown prince, the king, not created, not made, forever and eternal. Jesus is the one, the servant, the son of God, and the eternal king. Not created, not made, and forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty God, how amazing, Lord. Heavenly Father, we look back on these words written by Paul. And we stand in awe of who you must be, the one standing behind these words. And you've brought these words down through all the ages for us to study, to look at, to understand. And it points out the great flaw that is in all of us, that we want the little rules to follow, that we can stay inside of the, the box. And that is not Christian liberty. Christian liberty says that the rules are what Jesus has done for us. And how often we forget that, Lord. And we have to repent of that. That we keep wanting the rules. And we should want Jesus. How simple and beautiful is the great plan that you have laid out. Heavenly Father, we, we get distracted by the things that happen on the earth and all the other things that are going on in our lives. And it is so difficult for us to remember that Jesus, first, in the middle, and last, is what we should be concentrating on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of this, that Christ came and died in our place, that Jesus walked up on that hill, and that your plan laid out from the very beginning, carried out by you, your sovereign will happened. Lord, let us each make sure that our feet are traveling on the path within your sovereign will. 
And we ask this in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.